Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellincat.com. Hello, and welcome to World Weekly from the Financial Times. I'm Gideon Rachman. Today, we're looking at Germany and the future of Chancellor Angela Merkel. Last weekend, regional elections in three key German states saw big setbacks for Mrs Merkel's ruling Christian Democrats. So how wounded is the Chancellor and have German politics changed fundamentally under the pressure of the refugee crisis? Joining me in the studio is Fred Studemann, who's our comment editor and a former correspondent in Berlin. And on the line from Berlin is our bureau chief there, Stefan Wagstall. Stefan, first of all, it's a few days now since the election results came in. People have had time to think about them, and I gather Chancellor Merkel has just been speaking in Parliament. So what's your assessment of where she stands at the moment? Well, where she stands is that she's sticking very firmly to her guns. She remains committed to what she calls the European solution, and that means the deal with Turkey that she is so desperate to secure, including at this summit later this week. So in the short term, she's completely committed to that. However, she has publicly taken account of the elections, which were a big defeat for her CDU party. They failed in two of the three regions that were voting to win back power, even though a few months ago they were set to do so. She has pledged essentially to go on, then that means that the complaints will continue to grow. And how much longer she can sustain her line in the face of these public and political complaints is the crucial question. For the moment, she seems secure in her power. Her MPs, who ultimately would have the opportunity to unseat her and choose a new leader, have looked at this question, at least privately and in small groups, and decided it won't work. It's not possible. There is no alternative. So they go on with her. But their complaints become ever more audible, and that makes it ever more difficult for Merkel to continue selling her policies to a sceptical public, and that benefits the right-wing populists, among others, the people of the Alternative für Deutschland, who did very well in the elections. The next elections at this level, the regional level, don't come till September. So Miss Merkel does have a few weeks of manoeuvring space, but that, of course, is in the face of the very likely increase in the number of refugees who might like to come to Europe with the onset of spring. So things are very tense for the Chancellor. But on that question of the refugee flows, Stefan, I mean, isn't there something slightly paradoxical that she's being helped by policies that she actually opposes in the sense that the frontier controls that she says are a bad idea that have been put in place by Austria and by Macedonia seem to be really sharply reducing the number of refugees arriving in Germany, even if it's not because of things that she's advocated. So isn't that liable to take the pressure off a bit? It has, and she, speaking to the Bundestag today, referred to exactly this. She spoke of the temporary relief that is being felt in Germany. But she also said it was no answer if this relief was secured by burdening one country, namely Greece. That's what she says in public. In private, it's clear that this reduction does give her a little bit more space to negotiate with Turkey. The European position is slightly strengthened 
vis-a-vis Ankara if the people are not coming through in quite the same numbers to Germany. And so that's put more pressure on President Erdogan to do an early deal. And Fred, looking back again at the domestic political situation, it's not just the Christian Democrats who've suffered, it's also their big coalition party, the Social Democrats, and together they've dominated German politics. Do you think we've seen a permanent change now? Well, I think it is sort of in line with changes that have been happening now for a while, and I think you're absolutely right to highlight the performance of the SPD, the Social Democrats, last Sunday, because in some ways you could say they came off even worse. You look at the performance of that party in Saxony-Anhalt, the losses they sustained there, they clung on in one state in the West, and in the other one, they came third in Baden-Württemberg, and that's sort of relegating them further down the roster when they were used to always being in either the first or second spot. Put it in a bigger context, as you've alluded to, I think you're seeing over the last couple of decades, we've seen in Germany essentially a sort of complication of the party political landscape, if you like, as there have been more established parties coming in. So it wasn't that long ago when you had a three-party system, which became a four-party system with the Greens establishing themselves. It's now a five-party system with the reformed communists who came in post-unification. And now we're looking at the prospect, if the AFD make it on the national level next year, we could have a six-party system. And what that means is that what was a relatively stable, perhaps even at times somewhat boring sort of binary system described by these two big blocks is now fraying and that makes coalition formation much more difficult and it starts to create other tensions within the system. We already have a situation now where you've got for the second time in a decade a grand coalition that used to be seen as an absolute last resort and a dangerous one at that because the conventional thinking was that it provoked uh, sort of more extreme oppositions, which is what was seen in the 1960s, which was the first time that this arrangement of a grand coalition had ever been done. Um, And you look at what you have now in Berlin where you've got a grand coalition and the opposition is composed of relatively small parties, the Greens and the Linke, the left party, which is basically the successor to the old East German Communist Party, who then gain a certain credibility and, you know, they take over significant jobs and committees and such like. And uh, obviously the thing that's attracted a lot of attention both within Germany and internationally is the rise of the alternative for Deutschland, given Germany's history and so on. Anything that smacks of the far right gets people nervous. Give us a sense of the AFD. I mean, are they a far-right party? Is that a fair term? Personally, I would say in this incarnation, yes. One has to do a little bit of history in terms of that this party began as a party, it was about the euro, and it was a sort of euro-sceptic, as in against the single currency party, which... um, They were kind of economics professors and lawyers Exactly, very much so, some of whom have now been kicked out of the party or who have left. So they have become something other than what they were launched as. As an anti-immigration party, yeah. And I would say where they're positioned now, we can argue the difference between right and far right, but they're certainly the most right on the spectrum of parties that have got into office at whatever level. I mean, there are are evidently beyond even them, you'll find even more extremist parties, but they don't figure at the moment. I think one thing you should just bear in mind is this is not, the as you've said, given Germany's history, whenever you see these electoral successes, there is obvious concern and close interest is taken. But there is also a pattern that we've seen where you will get at a regional or local level a stunning success for one of these parties. And 
it doesn't sustain itself. I mean, I can remember reporting from Sachsen-Anhalt almost 20 years ago. This is this eastern state where the AFD did very well, sadly. And 20 years ago, it was another party called the MPD, which is a genuinely far-right party. And everyone thought, oh, my God, this is the start of some sort of nasty development. But, you know, they find it very difficult to translate that local success onto the national stage. Okay, and Stefan, I mean, obviously, we're guessing about whether the AFD have really established themselves now in the national scene. But I guess a lot depends on the mood in Germany and how long this sense of agitation lasts. I mean, you're in Berlin. What's your sense about the German public mood? Do you think it's possible that people will calm down? Or as long as the refugee crisis goes on, are they going to be agitated? I think it's entirely dependent on the refugee crisis. The AFD was scoring less than 5% before the crisis blew up last summer. The media focus was on their internal rows and differences. I would expect that's exactly what would happen if the crisis is resolved and the numbers come down, not to zero. They don't need to come to zero. They need to come down to a level that the average German thinks is acceptable and comfortable. And nobody knows exactly what this is, but it could be in the realm of a couple of hundred thousand instead of a million as last year. But if that does not happen, I fully expect that more people will vote AFD. It's not helpful to Merkel that one of the September elections is in Mecklenburg-Vorpommern, a very poor and backward part of eastern Germany. Embarrassingly for her, it's also the home to her constituency. The AFD could easily do much better there, even than it did in Saxony-Anhalt. And just finally, I build this as a programme about Merkel's position. She's been the dominant figure in Europe. Do you think that also is now changing, both because of her domestic problems, but also because of the divisions within Europe that are being caused by this very divisive issue of refugees, as well as the pre-existing divisions on the euro? I'd like both of your views, but Fred first. I mean, I think what we're seeing with Merkel now is some people have, even in our own pages, have said, you know, she may be gone by the end of the year. But I think, as Stefan said earlier, she's damaged by these election results. She's very damaged by the refugee crisis. But I don't think we're going to see her departure imminently. However, I think it is clear we're in the sort of, uh, without wanting to, to use too melodramatic language, the, the final act or chapter of the Merkel era, which could go on for, you know, up to and beyond the federal elections in 2017. I think in terms of on the European stage, evidently her authority has taken a blow. It's quite noticeable that other European leaders who maybe had sort of reluctantly gone along with policies that Merkel had pursued on issues such as the euro or on Ukraine, on the refugee issue, have been more willing to come out against her. And I think that is sort of contributing to a diminution of her wider authority and stature. And of course, Stefan, that then feeds back into her domestic position, because as you say, she's staking everything on getting a Europe-wide deal on refugees. Yeah, and don't forget the deep connections between external and internal in the EU, graphically shown by the Hungarian Prime Minister, Viktor Orban, who very early in the refugee crisis made a very dramatic visit to Bavaria, the home of some of Merkel's strongest domestic opponents of her refugee policy, capitalising on her weakness and also on the opportunity he had of intervening. Horst Seehofer, the Bavarian leader, recently reciprocated by visiting Budapest. I think we can expect much more of this as the crisis goes on, unless in some unexpected way it gets dramatically easier for Merkel. OK, well, we'll watch it over the coming weeks and months. Thank you very much indeed to Stefan Wagstall in Berlin and to Fred Studeman here in the studio in London.
That's it for this week. Until next week, goodbye. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.